Hello, everyone. Welcome to another of the Legal Queen podcasts. Thank you for joining me. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. I've got Paddy with me. And for those of you that watch me regularly on TikTok, you will know that Paddy is the voice behind the Hey Mom. And he's going to ask me a couple of questions, just different questions about cases and, and whatnot. So thank you, Paddy, for joining me on the podcast. No um, and yeah, take it away. Um, wow. Okay. First time on the podcast. So, um, I suppose me and you obviously have a lot of conversations outside of the TikTok and social media in general. Um, and it is, contrary to belief, quite an interesting subject. Um, it's not just law um, or going to court and all that. So, I had a few questions that I thought might be interesting to talk about. Um, going straight into it, um, I wanted to know a little bit about maybe the most emotional or saddest case that you've ever experienced or had to kind of deal with okay. um, and how that kind of made you feel. Um, obviously, being a solicitor, you've kind of got to, well, from what you've told me, leave emotions at the door. Yeah. Can't really get too involved. You've got to stay to the book, stay yeah. to the law, but everyone's human. So kind of how that how that kind of yeah absolutely happened. i mean the one that the saddest case i've ever done there's actually two that spring to mind but i'll um talk you through the first one so it was a uh, a lady approached me um she was probably in her late 50s early 60s when she approached me she'd been a single mom for 23 years um and in that time she had brought up two of her sons um she came to me because she had received a letter in the post from a solicitor who had been instructed by her husband. Now, to give you a little bit of context, the husband had left her about 22 years previously, um, had left her with, with, as I say, two very young children and had actually started an affair with her best friend. Um, so that was devastating wow. enough. Um, she goes on to, you know, single-handedly bring up these boys. And the house that they live in... How has, many children, sorry? There was two. Two. Two children. Um, I think at the time, from memory, they were they were very young. They were like two and three or three and four. Jeez. But I, I remember thinking, wow, that's no mean feat. I mean, she would have mm. been heartbroken at the fact that her marriage had broken down. Mm. Um, double jeopardy in the fact that it was with her best friend. Mm. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, the, the, the triple, I suppose, emotion is that now the boys, their parents have broken up. Mm. So she's mm. obviously feeling it as a mother for them. Anyway, she um, gets on with life, uh, raises the boys, as I say, and continues. She's getting no financial support from him at all uh, in the in the time that they're separated. And she continues to pay the mortgage on the property um, until the point where the mortgage is completely paid off and she thinks nothing about it. She's not aware at all of her legal position. They're still married, by the way. There's never been divorce proceedings. Oh, they, never they never divorced, no. She obviously had her hands full, hands full raising a family and, um, you know, financially providing for herself because he was giving her no financial help at all. Right. Anyway. So what, what point is it now? Like how many years after? So it's probably a good sort of 24, 25 years since they've separated. Oh my God, wow. Yeah, yeah, it's a long time. And um, she gets this letter in the post from a solicitor 
who has received instructions from her husband to say, um, we are still named on that property and we would like half of it, please. And of course, she came to see me and her mood was very much, well, of course, that's not going to happen, is mm. it, Trace? Because, you know, we've been separated for over 20 years. Um, I've paid the mortgage off myself single-handedly. He would never even pay me child maintenance. You know, I've done it all. And, and now all of a sudden, out of the blue, you know, he, he comes and he, and he wants apparently half of the equity. And it was absolutely devastating because... The advice that I had to give her was that because they were still married, because the house was in joint names, um, that actually he was entitled to 50% of the equity. Um, the saddest part, that's not the saddest part, the saddest part was that throughout the time that she'd been raising the children, she had had two or three jobs. So she was a, a dinner lady and a school sort of playground monitor. She was a cleaner um, during the day for domestic um, houses. Make ends meet sort of yeah. yeah, and then she would clean offices of an evening. So her earnings were never great. The saddest thing was that she couldn't afford um, so the money that she was bringing in didn't afford her enough to buy him out. I can't remember the the house wasn't like um, a, you know an expensive home. Let's say it was around 150, 180, something like that. It was in the hundreds, um, thousand. And of course he was entitled to fifty percent. So she would have had to try and raise seventy five grand. The woman's in her early sixties, so the length of the mortgage is going to be short you know, majority, maybe five to, to mm, seven years. Mm. But she still has all these part-time jobs. And of course, in reality, she's probably getting paid cash in hand for a lot of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. So, cut a long story short, she had to sell the house. She had to sell the house because he, he took her to court. Like, we tried to negotiate. We tried to barter him down. We tried to argue all the things that we normally argue to see if we could get away with giving him, like, 30% or 25%. I can't remember where we eventually got to, but he was having none of it. Took her to court. I suppose the kids are all old, old oh, now. Oh, they, they, so they were grown up. They've yeah, moved out and They stuff. were grown up and they'd moved away. They were definitely over 18. Uh, moved so there was away. no need for the actual house, I suppose. No, because no. You know, I mean, I think it was like a three-bedroom terrace. As I say, it wasn't a yeah, huge yeah, house yeah. anyway. But you think he would have done the decent thing and let her keep it, given that she paid the so mortgage off. Had, had he not uh, married the the late the best friend? Well, what had happened was he hadn't married her because he's still married to my client. Oh, of course, yeah. he had lived with her for all of that time. Why didn't they have a divorce? I don't. Well, I suppose you, I don't know because they... there's no way he would have known to make sure they stay married in order to one day claim on the house. He, he wouldn't, he's not surely not. Well, I mean, look, I can't comment. Possibly, who knows? I mean, is somebody that, that cat? maybe, maybe. Him and his long-term partner had rented. Um, right. But of course, and, and the other thing as well is that my client had never met anybody else. So she had always stayed on her own. Yeah. So not only did she have to sell the property and give him 50%, with her 50%, she wasn't able to buy anywhere. So she was forced into rented accommodation. But because he was still with his long-term partner and they had a joint income, they were able to buy. And I just remember at the time, and I'm going wow, back, that, I'm going back oh. about 18 years. This was a case a long, long time ago. And I just remember coming home and saying to your dad mm. at the time, um, you know, it, that's just not fair. No. How is that legally yeah. fair 
How is that just? Everything was fine. They'd split up and yeah. they'd gone their own way. And and he, he hadn't stood by her at all. He'd, he'd, he'd finished the marriage, which, okay, he has a right to do that if he doesn't want to be with her and doesn't, mm, doesn't love yeah. her anymore. But he hadn't stood by his children. He'd never given her a bean in terms of child maintenance. She had worked and scraped through. Mm. And just because she didn't get that little bit of legal advice or, or have that legal knowledge, yeah, to get the financial she did it all end. to her detriment. Well, it's why, you, I suppose, maybe from that, that story and many others, why you're always banging on about getting the financial order. Always. Always get the financial order. Always get the financial order. I, d- I don't order. understand, though, if it was a three-bed house, how, like, let's say it was 50-50, why half the equity wouldn't be able to afford, like support like even a one-bed house do you know what I mean why she had to go and rent yeah I don't I think it might have been just the area that she lived in right, at the okay. time she wouldn't have been able to get anything outright for 75,000 and even if she'd have found somewhere for maybe 100 or 110 yeah. um, I mean I'm as a Sam going back some years I don't think we had things then like shared ownership right or, yeah, yeah, yeah do you know what I mean yeah, I, all I do remember is that she she ended up going into rented accommodation she was in her 60s and it was just soul destroying. I wonder what it the really kids was. would have thought of the situation. Obviously, not really. Do they have a relationship with the dad at all? Do you know? No, no, no. But they were very supportive of their mum. Yeah. And I like to think that obviously, once we left the courthouse and all the lawyers went home, that perhaps her sons were able to help her out somehow. You know, because Surely. if both yeah. of them could have lent her some money or even, you know, guaranteed a mortgage for her or mm. something like that. Um, but yeah, when 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 I parted ways with with the client, at that point she was she was going to be renting. Um, so yeah, and I've never forgotten that. And and you're right; it's one of the reasons I bang on all the time about get your financial order. I, I was speaking to a client the other day actually, and and she said that she was halfway through the divorce and just happened to stumble across one of my um, I don't know if it was a a TikTok yeah, or a yeah, podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. or something. And she heard me talking about the financial order. Um, so she emailed me and asked what it was all about. And I told her, we ended up having a consultation. And I'm actually doing the financial order for at the moment. But she said to me, why Why isn't this all over the divorce yeah, petition? Yeah. Why isn't there some kind of, you know, warning, yeah. disclaimer, something? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I totally agree with you. It should be all over the divorce petition. By the way, this divorce will not sever your financial... I, I, I um, suppose time. from a maybe a deeper point of view, because obviously marriage in itself is quite a religious ceremony, if you, if you will. But what's come with that is the legal point of view, which I suppose is the financial point of view. Yeah. And they're, I suppose you can see them as two completely separate things. Yeah. So when you get divorced, you're, which in retrospect is quite a new concept really to get divorced, even though it's been around for maybe 100 years, I don't know. But you always tell me like your parents and their parents wouldn't even dream of getting divorced. It'd be mm. such a shameful thing. Yeah. So really it's only coming into like the last maybe 50, 60 years. It's becoming more socially accepted. Yeah, 100%. But the financial point of view, which was never even contested, I suppose, because it was always so linked, but it wasn't really thought of when you get divorced. Yeah. It's it's completely yeah. separate to the finances. Well, and, and I think what people don't appreciate when they get married is that you are actually entering into a binding yeah, contract. Yeah, contract. It is a yeah. contract. But of course... You don't think of that. You don't think of no. it, particularly for the bride. Yeah. Well, and the groom, but you're caught up with the hen, the, the stag, yeah. the best man, the rings, the flowers, you know, the white doves or rose yeah, petals yeah, 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 yeah. or whatever it is yeah, that you're yeah, having. Yeah. Um, and you don't actually, for, for, for many couples, you don't think, well, hang on a minute. 
in it. What does this getting, mean? Yeah. And for, for many, because divorce is so widely talked about, mm-hmm. um, you think, well, as soon as I've got that decree absolute or the final order, as it's called now, um, that's it. I'm done. But really, that only enables you to go off and get legally remarried. Do you think eventually in time, it will be similar to where you get, is it a conditional order instead of decree? It's a final order now. No, what's the one before? Conditional order instead of decree nice That's it, yeah. So where you've got kind of the two steps before Mm. you get the final order, do you think there will ever be a time where you have to make sure that financial order is in place before you get your final order? Wow, this is the tricky thing. Because that see. kind of should be really. I don't know. You shouldn't be able to completely be divorced, but then hang on, you've still got this contract in place. Effectively, is what so, it is. So, so I suppose the 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 family court can't force you to get a financial order. And the difficulty that some people have is that they don't know exactly where the other party is living, or perhaps the other party just simply won't engage in the process. You hear that all the time. So, you know, if if somebody won't sign the the financial order papers, or they simply won't reply to your solicitor's letters or to your emails, it would be a shame if that then stopped you from getting the divorce as well. So I think the right, principle okay. at the moment yeah. is, well, if you want to go ahead and get your final yeah. order or your decree absolute, you should be allowed to do that. Where I would come at it more is to just make it clearer yeah, yeah, somewhere sure. on the divorce petition, you know, just so you know, <laughs> this will not sever financial ties. And just one sentence to explain to people what that means. Because the other thing I've noticed as well, On the divorce petition, the new divorce petition, it says, do you wish to apply to the court for a financial order? And people tick yes. Then people come to me and they say, oh, Trace, we've got the financial, it's all sorted. I'm like, what, you actually had one drafted? No, 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 when we're doing the divorce petition, um, we just ticked, yep, we want one of them. We've ticked it and we sent it in. I'm like, no, because all that box does is let the court know that a financial order is going to be applied for. But it won't. It but, won't do anything. But so I that, suppose even that confuses people. Understandably, if they click that box, though the the final order, uh, the the financial order box when they're getting a divorce, mm. will the court then be waiting for the financial order before the final order? No, no, no. Because in reality, it's generally dealt with by two different courts. Right. Okay. So yeah. most of our divorces will go through Berry St Edmunds. And it's just a process. In fact, a lot of the divorces what, what, now will go to the name. portal. What, what is that? So Bury St Edmunds, it's just, it, it's an area in okay. London. And, and it was the main hub, the main divorce centre, if you like. Okay. Now they're just on a portal. So the computer's just dealing with them. And right. the long as the, so long as the boxes are ticked, the court, obviously, the judge will have a look at your application for conditional order. But they're just put through the, the process. Yeah. So if you then don't apply for a financial order, there's no checks and balances when you come to apply for your financial uh, for your final order or your decree absolute to go, oh, hang on a minute, you yeah, haven't got your yeah, financial yeah, order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The court will just process your decree absolute yeah. or your final order. And of course, for those people that have ticked on the divorce petition, mm. yes, I want a financial order. There's so many people thinking, yeah, it's fine. Tracy talks about them all the time. <laughs> yeah. I've got mine in the bag. It's done. <laughs> And you haven't. You've actually got to have it drafted. You've both got to sign it. You know, when people say to me, oh, I don't know if I've got a financial order. I always say, well, you'll know if you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll know if you have one. And the same reason. If you don't know, you have one. Same way as you'll know you've done a divorce petition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll know if you don't have one. Yeah, it's a lengthy process for sure. Absolutely. Um, I suppose that leads me on to a a separate question. Um, 
in regards to the number of divorces happening, um, and maybe that's where I suppose a lot of the, like you hear online now, especially in the comments of your videos, it's always about, oh, why even bother with marriage anymore because the other half just takes all your money or, or whatever it is. I suppose the point of marriage historically wasn't then to have the option of divorce. It was quite a big thing of a union coming together sort of thing. Now there's a massive trend, and you, you've spoken about it before, where year on year there seems to be more and more divorces. Do you think that's leading to part of the problem that you're always saying the courts are just inundated with, with applications? And is it? Do you think it's getting worse and worse in regards to how long it's taking every year because there's just more and more applications being put through? Yeah, um, absolutely. When I first started <clears throat> practising, which was over 20 years ago now, we would get a divorce through fairly quickly. Right. You know, the courts were processing them in, in a matter of weeks. Yeah. Um, it was unheard of to wait a year for a divorce. The That's new crazy. the new yeah. systems wow. in um, and the, you know on the portal they are now getting them through in six months. And you know Touchwood, the new ones are being processed in six months, yeah. which is a huge improvement. Um, but at one point, I mean, I did a divorce recently that was on the old system, and it was almost two years, just because of the backlog of cases. And you know, well, what you, is the main bulk? What's the main thing that's holding it up? Like, what's the? I think it was a combination of things. So it was. It wasn't just that we had um, an influx of divorce petitions. I don't even think that was it. I think that the court system themselves didn't have the resources to process it all. You know, it it's difficult to imagine the amount of post for example, that a court in central London will get on a daily basis. Oh, you couldn't even and, imagine. Because it's not just divorce petitions. It's all, it's all kinds yeah, of applications. Yeah, yeah. It might be a probate application. It might be a small I claims application. it's not just a family, family court, Not just the family no, yeah. court. So I think the courts for a long time have been under tremendous pressure from a funding perspective. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, like most councils you know courts are the same they're given funding and it's up to the courts to manage that funding mm -hmm. so how they then allocate that resource is entirely down to them and some courts can do it far better than others what I mean by that is if you get a court say up in Hull the demand up there will not be as great as central London yeah, sure, or Birmingham sure. or Manchester yeah. you know so I think it was a combination and then to try and rectify the problem they decided that we would have centralised divorce hubs, which is where Berry St Edmunds came to the fore. Right. So they're a big court in London, and it was um, then accepted that Berry St Edmunds would deal with all our divorce petitions. Yeah. Um, and so we were sending them all there. And, of course, the poor folks down at Berry St Edmunds, it, it <laughs> just... I don't think they realised how many the petitions number, yeah. would actually pass through the system um, to the point that you couldn't even call the court. They just gave up answering the phones because by answering the phones, it was stopping them processing yeah, the applications exactly. and people were ringing to go, how long is it going to take? Where's my divorce petition? Like, yeah, why haven't you yeah. done it yet? So they just stopped answering the phones. They would stop. To give you an idea, we, we, we could only email Berry. Yeah. So we would email Berry St. Edmunds, let's say in June. And I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating this. And we would get an email back to say, we are dealing with emails from January. Bear with us. Oh, my God. Honestly, we will get back to you. 
it, the whole thing just and and this was a this was obviously before the new system now um but yeah I really felt for them because I thought wow them guys must go because you know can you imagine as an individual you're going in you're busting your gut you take pride in your job you're trying to do your best you're in the month of June dealing with an, a, an email from January or February it, it would almost it be, be like soul destroying trying to clear your desk desk knowing that twice the size is coming the that next after, day, that, the yep. next day yep. and then you, you yep. okay so you can only clear half of it the next day yep. and twice that's coming the day absolutely. after absolutely yeah it's uh, a tsunami uh, of yeah, work that's insane during that period I actually had a children's matter that I was working on um, and of course this was way before Covid um, so all the hearings then were face to face so I made my way down to Bury St Edmunds and prior to us um actually dealing with the case I got speaking to the judge um, and the judge was saying that on a regular basis um, it was a female judge um, she was there routinely until eight nine o'clock at night and the reason for that was not because she was processing applications but because the resource team that was available to the court was so caught up in admin that the support the judges were meant to have they weren't getting so the judges were physically going and getting their own files and mm-hmm. having to, you know, do as much as they could themselves, yeah, yeah, yeah. which was causing their day to be long. So the inside has the the new system with um, is the new system primarily just because now it's online. Now it's online. It was March twenty one. Is that right? It was April twenty two. Ah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, remember, I just yeah, I remember it being around that time. But yeah, um, yeah, um, because it's online now. Does everything get processed faster? Or? So if we're just talking about divorce, absolutely. Right. Um, they're guaranteed within six months. So you make your application and it, and, and it is, it's, it's seamless now. You yeah. know, it's all being turned around um, and then you get your conditional order after 20 weeks and then six weeks after that yeah. you can apply for your final order. There will still be a pause to that process if you wish to submit your financial order in between. Okay. Um, but if there's no financial order being submitted or you're in agreement to the financial order so it doesn't hold you up um, then yeah 26 weeks start to finish which with hindsight is still a long time you know six months is still a long time especially when people have made the decision and they just want to get on and do it Um, but the great thing is that we're not blaming anybody anymore so it, it is purely on the fact that the relationship's broken down, or the marriage yeah, is broken it's, down. It's, it's, it's a funny one with that, because I remember when I first started um, doing these videos with you, obviously I know you've been pretty much for as long as I can remember been a solicitor. Um, so you've always been kind of talking about it, and I've, I've heard things over the time, but the concept of blaming someone um, is quite foreign in a way, because it's like a marriage... I, I would assume generally breaks down not because of one reason because maybe over time certain things have kept happening or kept happening or, or whatever or the love is just lost and maybe you've tried a few times and it just so to go right the reason is because of this either adultery or five-year separation or whatever it was or all, all them them reasons yeah. I can't remember all of them but yeah it does seem a little bit um yeah foreign in a way and I, I suppose back then were the reasons put in place to deter people from having a divorce not not at all I think that the the uh, ground for the divorce was always that the marriage had broken down irretrievably and then how you showed that ground if you like was by relying on a fact 
and we had five facts to choose from. So it was just to reinforce the fact that your marriage had, had irretrievably broken down. So that, that at that time, the court would say, yes, but how? So, you know, choose one of these five. And it was adultery, unreasonable behaviour, two years separation uh, with consent, five years separation or desertion. But of course, desertion. the flip side to that was, let's say you wanted to get divorced, but you had just fallen out of love. Yeah. Those couples had to wait two years because you couldn't rely on reasonable behaviour. Why not? Well, because you just fell out of love. You, you know, I'd have many couples say to me, but he hasn't done anything, Trace. Or the man would say, but she hasn't done anything. Could they anything. not just for the point of not waiting two years, just put unreasonable behaviour well, and just make then, something up? Well, effectively, you're lying to the court then. Oh. Um, so you would you would um, have to wait. And, you know, the advice would be, you've got to wait two years. So that, that would be really unfair to a couple like that. Mm. Um, or let's say they'd been separated for two years. Um, and one of them said, oh, been separated for two years now. Said, That's great, but we've got to get the consent of the other party. And the other party, for whatever reason, just wanted to be a bit awkward, wouldn't give their consent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in that case, you would then base it on a reasonable behaviour because they were being unreasonable. Yeah. They wouldn't divorce you. Um, but then adultery. You know, a lot of people didn't realise. Let's say um, a wife phoned me up and said, I want to start divorce. I've just found out my husband's been uh, cheating on me and I'm therefore want to use adultery. I had to get the husband to sign a consent form that he'd, that he'd committed adultery. And a lot of times they wouldn't sign it. Understand, and I get why, I suppose. Yeah. Um, we would then base it on unreasonable behaviour, but we couldn't use the word adultery. So the flip side was to take away the blame. Yeah. You know, yeah. has the marriage broken down irretrievably? And let's be honest, if you're in a marriage and you say to me, it has broken down irretrievably, mm. what business is it yeah, of me yeah, to yeah, go, yeah, 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 but how? Yeah. And now prove it. Mm. And actually now get the other party to agree with you. You know, it was quite restrictive in a way. But what really surprised me was when the new system came in, I honestly thought people would go, oh, this is so much better. Yeah, yeah. But the flip side happened and I had people going, what, you mean I can't divorce him from reasonable behaviour? I can't do adultery anymore. Yeah. Well, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that coming. <laughs> well, I suppose because maybe you think like your divorce... Um, uh, what's it called? Your divorce papers. He's yeah. going to have it written all over. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. he, it's his fault or her fault. That's blah blah it. blah. Yeah. But in reality, no one sees it. No one. You're sees divorced it. or you're not divorced, and it's yeah. it's black or white. So it makes no odds. It's the same with as before when you had a reason, um, and you said unreasonable behaviour or you know adultery. Yeah. No one ever saw that. No. So no it, one. Saw it, that. it made no odds even if they did agree to yeah. it or they didn't. So. It just made that person feel better. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, I used to say to clients all the time, but when you meet someone um, or, or you're chatting to a friend and they'll say, oh, you know, are you divorced? Or, or you might volunteer the information and go, oh, yes, yeah, so I'm divorced. No one ever says, on what ground? What fact did yeah, you rely yeah, yeah, on? No yeah, one ever, yeah, no yeah, one ever yeah, asks yeah. the question. But of course, to the petitioner, the person who wants to start the divorce, it, it's potentially, well, you know, it's important to them yeah. that, that it's reflected, that they get a feeling of justice that we know, yes, my marriage is broken down, but it wasn't mm, my fault. Yeah. It's because the other person did something. And of course, we've done away with that now. Yeah, I suppose that's that's what it is, isn't it? Is that, but then unless something bad has happened, as you say, unless it it is adultery, for example, I mean, I'm trying to think, or desertion, it, it, apart from that, it would have just been falling out of love. Is that right? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And then who, you can't really... Okay, here's a good question, actually. So 
generally do you find i mean you know family um law i suppose is quite emotive anyway it's always yeah. very emotional and yeah. people are feeling you know certain feelings um like that's a story you said at the very start where the husband i suppose the husband at the time came back after 25 years or however long it was and forced the lady uh, his wife to move out the house to sell the house yeah. just so he got his equity yeah now from a rational point of view that's that's quite insensitive to yeah. to, to imagine your wife or ex-wife however you want to see it um you loved them at one point yeah enough to be married and also to have a family okay yeah. you don't anymore um it's quite that was quite a ruthless move from him now he might have had his reasons fair enough blah blah mm. blah maybe he had something to pay and he needed the money desperately but it's still quite ruthless do you find that more often than not that decisions being made they're quite in spite of the other person like them or do you find them they're quite if even they're like all right fair enough let's just go go through with it because we both agree we're not in love anymore so i think the the answer to that question lies in the context of that marriage so what i mean by that is where you've got a couple that accept the marriage has irretrievably broken down that couple will probably come to the um, conclusion as to how the finances are going to be separated far quicker yeah. and with far less expense than where one person has hurt the other one. Yeah. So where I deal with the angry divorces, the emotive divorces, because, you know, she's been unfaithful or he's been unfaithful or, you know, she has spent the money or he's addicted to whatever. It's those divorces because... In a nutshell, one of the parties hasn't got closure. They they sure. they For genuinely sure. don't want the marriage to end. Yeah. They're hurting. Yeah. They they logic goes out the window. In it, sense. Logic does go out the window, but they stay in a state of disbelief, almost looking at their spouse and inwardly thinking. How could you do that? Yeah. How could you have done that? Yeah. You yeah. know, you, you, you've ripped apart the home, the children, mm -hmm. this, that. And it's not fair. Mm -hmm. It's just not fair. Do you find and that that example there happens more often than... Like, you, what I'm saying is, do you think families yeah. break down because of that or... Absolutely, because obviously, I mean, A, I'm a litigation lawyer. So a, a, a lot of my clients, the majority of my clients are in court. So yes, I see the... Um, emotive divorces and breakdowns and, and the bitterness yeah. a lot more than I see the the happy agreed consent orders um, <laughs> that you know and, and not only that the ones that are content I mean they're still upset but they're content to, yeah. to separate will do the divorces themselves and it's a quick phone call to me to say can you just you know knock me up a, a financial order please mm -hmm. and we'll go through you know the fair and reasonable element of that um, but yeah the majority and I think most family lawyers would say the same mm. the majority of people that come to us is because they've either been wronged or they are doing the wronging <laughs> that's bad english but you know what i mean well i suppose that's maybe the purpose of a solicitor because if in all in all, in all i suppose fairness if you were completely happy and you agreed on everything yeah you'd be able to do it yourself yeah yeah but the point of a solicitor so is to argue I've, your case yeah I, I had an email over the weekend from a client who um, reached out to me simply to say that marriage is broken down, adultery has been committed, um, could they have a consultation with me? 
absolutely no problem at all. They're booked in to see me at the end of this week and already the emails are flying between them both. And of course, I'm getting copied into them. But the proposal that my client has put to the other side... Uh, my client is the guilty party, by the way, mm-hmm. um, in, in the breakdown of the marriage. But the proposal that my client has put forward is actually quite fair and reasonable. Right. Um, and whilst I will tweak it when I speak to them at the end of the week, the other side have immediately gone on the emotive and gone, are you mad? Yeah, No, no, course. no, <laughs> you're, you're, you're not having the house. You're the one that had the affair. And I'm thinking, oh dear, here we go. You know, I've got a battle on my hands here because they're not going to come at it from a legal perspective. They're going to come at it from a totally emotional perspective. Do you find, obviously, if it's like, for example, both uh, you know, both parties have instructed a solicitor, so you'd be speaking to the other side, where you are both kind of taking it from a neutral standpoint, I would mm-hmm. say, by, you know, interpreting the law to mm-hmm. kind of say, look, this yeah. is what I think is fair and reasonable. Yeah. Do you find more often than not, you're both on the same wavelength and you're just trying to... This get- this is this is a really good question because the answer has to be a resounding no. <laughs> right. A lot of my opponents are out for, and I'm going to say it, and I know the solicitors out there, they're going to hate me for saying it, but they're out for the billable hours. Oh, really? Absolutely. They want to keep it going to the death because there's money involved, there's money to be made, and they just want to keep billing. That's mad. Whereas some of my opponents, and I, I chatted to a lovely opponent today who I've never spoken to before, mm-hmm. but I reached out to her to say, look, this is the reality. You know, this is what the parties want to do. Are you in agreement? Are you giving your client the same advice I'm giving my client? And she rang me to went to say, absolutely, yeah, we're on the same page. Right. So you do get colleagues that, that will be in it purely for the clients, yeah. you know, and yeah. what's in their best interests. But no, I've got to say, there's also solicitors out there that are absolutely ruthless and they're given a target to hit each month and they've got and to the hit corporate it. corporate world gets involved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, I suppose... To, to, to kind of follow up that is that down to because you know you see online like quickie divorce or fixed fee divorce or whatever it is I suppose them solicitors or them companies that would you know represent you would they because I suppose they're trying to keep, go the opposite and keep the hours down because where it's a fixed fee sort of thing or how so in reality those companies don't actually employ solicitors right. you may have one solicitor on the floor um, who is supervising um, but uh, typically there will just be lots of paralegals behind the quickie divorce the managed divorce those companies yeah. there's just paralegals processing it um, but I know I, I can see where you're going with it yes I mean you know w- my firm will offer a fixed fee, but it's only for those clients that are in agreement because obviously okay. we don't want to give a fixed fee and, and, and then get caught up in hours yeah, and hours yeah, and yeah, hours yeah, of yeah. litigation because they just, they, you know, they're arguing backwards and mm-hmm, forwards and mm-hmm. backwards and forwards. So, so long as my client can say to me, yep, we've spoken about it, we know what we're doing, we just need you to help us draft the order, mm-hmm. fixed fee, absolutely fine. Um, but as I say, the majority of work that I get is is all contested, it's going to court. Um, and you know, and I don't like conflict. I know that seems crazy because no, I'm a family lawyer, that, yeah. but I hate conflict. I'm always trying to get a resolve, yeah. and I work really close with mediators because I just think I've worked hard 
for my money and I want my money to go to my children. Yeah. I don't want to give it to a lawyer. So I don't want my clients to do the same. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course, we're all making a living, but the morals have to step in yeah. as well, you know, to a certain degree. I don't want to see a party selling their property and have all the money go, you know, on, on legal fees. And, you know, it happens. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I'm not surprised sometimes when bills go into the hundreds of thousands of pounds. And I say to the clients all the time, not that I have many of those types of cases, but I know friends of mine do. But I say to clients, look, don't just the more you agree together, the, the less you're going to spend. Yeah, but yeah. some of them just want they're in it for the fight. <laughs> they don't care about the money. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. And oh, that's the thing, because if you've got, say, the clients on the other side, and they're the ones who, like you said, you had a, a client come come to you recently, and and the other side, you thought it was quite a reasonable yeah. uh, financial order or, or yeah. whatever. But the other side were like, absolutely not, blah. But maybe that's because, as you say, he was the guilty party, and blah blah blah. If their solicitor is also in it for the billable hours, they're going to one hundred percent be behind their client absolutely. because they know it's just dragging it out, absolutely. dragging it out. Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing really, I suppose, from your side. Well, Can and this this is why you you can't prior to making the fa- uh, the court application because when you're just in negotiation, it can go on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. It can go on for months. It can go on for years. Um, I will always sort of suggest to my clients: Look, we've been negotiating for a month. We might be up to the thousand pound mark in terms of legal fees, and and this is obviously just my client. We really do need to make a court application yeah. because we're never going to agree between us, between the solicitors, you two are never going to agree, meaning the parties, Mm -hmm. because once you make a court application, you do put a finish line in the sand. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is you will only have three hearings for finances. So once you get to the third hearing, if the parties still are, are at odds and can't agree, then the court will decide. So I think, again, it's a judgment call. You know, I'll get, I mean, I have lots of people come to me to say, I have been negotiating with my current solicitor, and I'm not even kidding, for 12 months. I've spent £25,000 with them, and I am no further forward. What would you advise? And I say the same thing. Well, if you're not going to, you know, agree after a year, make the court application. Make it. Because actually, the proceedings will be over in 12 months. And you'll have your order. And it's no it's no more expensive to go to court. The expense is in the solicitor's fees. Would you say there's got to be a, a level of, not responsibility, but as you say, like morals from, if you've instructed a solicitor, they're going to know roughly how long it takes to negotiate before they think, okay, look, these, just, these guys aren't going to negotiate. Let's yeah. just get to the court order. Yeah. 12 months seems like a long time to be, to be negotiating. Surely there's got to be some, some level of, moral duty from the solicitor on that that particular example to say look say it's been three months four months whatever it's been look i think we need to get to the court order because this is clearly taking a long time again i would like to tell you yes but there are lawyers out there that you know want to just 
increase. How, how long the... should like what would be the maximum time of like going backwards well, and forwards? Family law is is very bespoke, and and I say that all the time. So so there is no one size fits all. So yeah. you can't say okay, let's negotiate for a month, and then if we haven't reached an agreement, we're going to court, because actually you might make that decision after two weeks, depending on what assets are, are involved. You might have to wait three or four months because one of the parties might say, well, it's going to take me three months to get my pension valuation through. And you say, well, okay, well, let's wait until we get that through. Because if we get your pension valuation through, we might be able to agree. So, you know, you wouldn't want to be making a court application in that instance after a month. Um, You know, there might be other cases where we've we've just got the house to sort out. And the other party says to you, well, I am not moving do what you like. I'm not going to instruct a solicitor. I don't care what you what letters you send to me. So my advice would be, look, let's try some mediation. If we're not going to get them to yeah. shift their, their thinking or their position, then let's make a court application. Yeah, yeah. So it can be really quick or it can take... But yes, you, as a solicitor, you should be making a judgment call. And the judges, they are quite strict in that each time we go to court with finances, we do have to be very transparent about our fees. So we have to fill out what's called a Form H and we have to give it to the judge and say, this is what we've charged our clients so far. And we also have to give it to the other side and the other side have to give us their fees. So, so it's all transparent. It's all spends. very transparent. Yeah. And then the clients get to know. What, oh yeah, yeah. The clients get so to see what the other side right. has spent and what. And again, the judges do that because the courts will use it and they'll say, "Right, Mrs. A, I can see your form H and you've spent thirty thousand. And right, Mr. A, I can see your form H and you've spent forty thousand. So between the two of you, you've both spent seventy thousand pounds, and we're only arguing over a hundred. Yeah, yeah. So the yeah, judges yeah, will yeah. use yeah, it, you know, you. to try and bang their heads together. Really, that's actually so. Yeah, is that like? You know, I suppose it's, every fee's different, but every fee's different. I mean, expensive. depending on where you are in the, in the mm. country, depending on what firm that you, you know, you you. Um, mm. use you'll get solicitors fees that I'm going to get asked this all the time well how much is it going to cost me um, solicitors will start at maybe 150 175 if let's say you're up north or you're newly qualified and I know lawyers in the city that will charge 750 an hour yeah yeah, yeah. you know yeah. it's it's ridiculous it's supply and demand isn't it yeah absolutely and, also how, how good and you are. yeah and and I think the more complex the more high net worth yep. you know I yep. find that high net worth clients want to go to expensive solicitors um, just because they well, feel they're they've... dealing with it all the time as well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah but then so... they would. I'm assuming. I mean, solicitors' fees surely, like the the upper echelons of that society, surely can just be endless. So get to I I was at a party about eight years ago, and got chatting to a guy there who was incredibly wealthy, um, and of course he was going through a divorce, and you know knew I was a family lawyer. And we were just sort of chewing the fat. And I was saying to him, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, I'll be so pleased when it's over. Because my legal bill at the moment stands at 750000 What? And that was just his. That I was mean, it just must, his. surely the whole estate I, I must just have been. I fell over. <laughs> I just thought. Oh, he was a multimillionaire. It, but it must have been like a lot of money to to spend 700,000 pounds and i know he said it was a, which it is a, 
that it was it was very very acrimonious. I mean, very. I actually, I, I did actually. What does that um, mean? Sorry, acrimonious. Yeah, so they were just fighting about. Oh right, okay. Sorry. About absolutely everything, and and I, I'm not just talking about divorce. We were talking about finances. We were talking about children. There was new wills right. being drafted. I mean, it was just the, there was a prenup before that wedding, and that was being pounds. negotiated. And then we had, um, you know, solicitor assisted mediation. So the solicitors were involved. There was yeah. all sorts going on. Um, but yeah, seven hundred and fifty thousand. I thought, right, that's me. Three off to London. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Literally. But then I suppose for the solicitors as well, it's like anything when it comes down to, to money, it's like it okay, yeah, that solicitor or that firm is getting paid a lot amount, but then the pressure, the pressure. would be enormous yeah, yeah. to get that and, right. And and I think when you're dealing with that level of high net worth, I would have thought, and I don't know, um, you're probably on call 24-7. Yeah, that's... that's so yeah, whenever the client sure. wants to get hold of you, which can be a little bit intrusive, you know, um, especially if you're <laughs> away somewhere or, you know having a weekend off yeah. or whatever and the client wants to get through to you. I mean, if, if you're charging yeah. a lot of money per yeah. hour, you're probably going to be answering the phone on a Sunday morning if be, the client wants to chat with you. you be expected to, for sure. Yeah. And, that, and that's why, that's what the rich and wealthy, that's what they're paying yeah, for. that's what service, they're paying for. You know. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely that, you know, next level of service, I yeah. would have thought. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, whereas for the sure. majority of solicitors, we are a traditional Monday to Friday, 9 to 9 5. To 5 yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll answer the odd email on a Saturday. I mean, I was answering emails yesterday and that was a Sunday. But generally, if you want a weekend off, you can yeah. you can more or less guarantee that or at least manoeuvre it so that you can get your weekend off. Mm. So nice. there we go. Well, that was interesting, Patrick. Thank you for that. No, that was. Um, we haven't done anything quite like that before on the Legal Queen podcast. So mm. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Want to thank Patrick for joining me um, and just taking me through no that. No um, it was a different, different way to approach family law, I suppose, and and just spread the word again, which is what I'm always trying to do. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, obviously, me, me and you. We talk a lot, but I don't think we have too many discussions like that. And that was really interesting. Mm. Obviously, I think every question led to another question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and sometimes and yeah. the organic and natural conversations, you can be answering questions that people have without even knowing you're answering the yeah, questions that they have. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure, for um, sure. So for those of you listening, hope you enjoyed that. Um, thank you for listening. And join me again on the Legal Queen podcast. <laughs>